Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Okay, so on this week's episode, I'm actually sharing a conversation I had with my friend, Natasha Richardson. And Natasha is a herbalist and she's the founder of Forage Botanicals. You've probably, you might recognize her name because she's been on the show before, like many years ago. Definitely go and check out that episode. Um, And I also use her products. So you might be familiar with me posting about her stuff on my Instagram. But Natasha develops natural remedies for period problems, as well as incredible products for bladder problems. She's got this great bladder tea that I use. She has products for fatigue and stress. And she also has courses and a podcast and lots of resources. Now, she has a Facebook group where she teaches menstrual health and well-being. And she kindly invited me on for a chat with her and her audience. So what you're listening to is actually a recording of an interview, sort of an interview, like a chat that she did with me. And I asked her if I could also share the conversation because I just thought it was a really powerful conversation. Two friends being really honest um, about our opinions and views and experiences as practitioners. So in this discussion, we talk about SIBO and endometriosis. So the signs, the symptoms and prevalence. So if you're not that familiar on SIBO, this this is a really good recap. We also talk about how gut health can contribute to endometriosis development. And we also talk about the various theories behind endometriosis growth and development, including immune dysfunction and mast cells. And then we talk about my views on hormonal treatments for endometriosis, including whether I feel that we're really getting fully informed consent and whether effectiveness of hormonal treatment is accurately portrayed by medical practitioners. And then we also talk about the role of medicine versus a holistic approach in endometriosis management. So it's a very broad topic, um, but we do have a fairly in-depth conversation about the pitfalls of 
medical care for endometriosis and kind of how we can um, educate ourselves as patients and practitioners uh, just so that we have all of the information. So some of these topics are delicate and it can be tricky to navigate them when having a chat that isn't like carefully pre-planned, right? We didn't, this this didn't have slides. Um, I didn't have, to, I wasn't right going off a script. The conversation just naturally evolved to include hormonal medication. So I hope that I was able to share my views in a delicate and considerate manner. Um, but please kind of keep in mind that this was a very casual conversation, um, between friends and we were being, you know, respectful, but we weren't reading off a script. So, um, please allow for that kind of fluidity of conversation. So yeah, I hope that this episode is insightful and helpful. And if you've ever wondered, what my thoughts are about, um, hormonal medication, then, um, now, you know, uh, and you might be surprised, might be different from what you thought it was going to be. So here is my conversation with Natasha Richardson. So Jess is here today because she is the founder of previously known as This Endo Live, now known as The Endo Belly Coach. Yes. Okay. <laughs> And um, Jess is a real um, geek for SIBO and endometriosis. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what SIBO like, is? Because I feel like people won't necessarily know what the acronym means. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, so um, I'll give like a little bit of context. So like uh, Natasha says, I have been this endo life for seven years. I started as a blogger and then a podcaster talking about my experience of endometriosis and trying to manage it from a holistic uh, approach because conventional medicine wasn't working for me. And then I went on to train in um, endometriosis as a health coach. I did a couple of different courses and specialized in endo. But what I found is my training talked about this condition called SIBO, which stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Um, and that like it's linked to endometriosis and it was quite brief and they were like, you know, it's quite tough to treat and like, it's really complex. So just refer your clients out. And I was like, what? Okay. Um, and so I started going down a rabbit hole because I noticed that I had all of these symptoms and then I started noticing all my clients had these symptoms and then people started coming to me, um, for this specifically. So I specialized in SIBO as well. So what SIBO is, is where you think about your gut microbiome, you hear people talk about your good bugs and feed your gut and all of that. They're talking about the large intestine, not the small intestine. Oh. So you have like your stomach, you have your small intestine, then you have your large intestine. And your large intestine should house the majority of your bacteria. Your small intestine will have a little bit of bacteria, but it's, it's not a lot at all, um, especially in comparison to what's going on in your large intestine. Right. So really really small amount um and your small intestine is really doing the work of absorbing your nutrients there's a bit of absorption that goes on in the large intestine but in the large intestine it's more about like detoxification and getting stuff ready to like leave your body and all of that jazz where like a lot most of your nutrients are absorbed in the small intestine so it's really important that we look after the small intestine yeah what happens with SIBO is that 
the bacteria that should be in your large intestine starts accumulating in large numbers in the small intestine. And it happens, there are so many risk factors to developing it, but the two like key causes are there's a structural issue or there's a functional issue. So the structural issue could be something like adhesions, endometriosis, right? right? A kink in the intestines, um, a loop in the intestines. Something is structurally wrong with a small intestine and the small intestine can't clear out bacteria when it's coming down through the mouth, through food and, you know, everyday environments. Or it's the kind of, the issue is from the other end where the valve that connects the small intestine and the large intestine is kind of broken. It's stuck open. And so bacteria can backflow into the small intestine. So as a result, the prevalence of of SIBO in the endometriosis community at the moment is estimated at 80%. That's based on like quite a small study, but if I looked at what I see clinically Mm. in my practice, I would say it's about the same. Um, From my students to my members to my one-to-one, like I see SIBO a lot. it's rare not to see it. So if you think about the adhesions that either come from um, the endometriosis itself or from surgery or even pelvic floor dysfunction that can accompany SIBA, um, endometriosis, all of those have like the power um, or fascia issues. All of them have the power to distort the way that the GI tract is moving, that the intestines are moving to cause kinks, to cause them to like um, not kind of be as smooth and fluid. So the bacteria has a chance to get trapped in the small intestine or accumulate. Mm. With something that is functional, we're looking at a deficiency with something called the migrating motor complex. So that is a like wave-like sensation that sweeps through the small intestine that cleans it out after food. So you'll eat, the migrating motor complex will turn off for two hours after two hours, it will end overnight. It will kick in, and it's basically clear, clearing out any food debris and bacteria left over from the food, chucking it in the large intestine where it belongs. Right, the bacteria mm. sit in the large intestine. But what happens through numerous different um, issues is that the migrating motor complex becomes deficient, and so bacteria can accumulate. Now, what's happening with a structural issue? if it's like adhesions pulling on the small intestine and it's not to do with that valve, is that the migrating motor complex is hopefully working, but it can't do its job. So essentially it always comes down to the migrating motor complex, right? It can't yeah. do its job. It's trying to push, but it can't push anything out because there's a structural issue. Yeah. So you get this um, accumulation of bacteria in the gut. And we know that bacteria, when they eat our food, they ferment, they like create gas. That gas creates bloating um but oh, i see why you're called endo belly coach yes yeah so all of these people come into me being like my endometriosis is causing all of this bloating but if you look through actually the research, digestive yeah it's actually right. digestive right there's no the i mean i have a whole um course i have a podcast episode on this like 10 root causes of bloating with endometriosis but the inflammation from endometriosis itself is only just one of those factors most of the time it's gut related or SIBO related. The inflammation can certainly be playing a role from the endo. Mm. Um, the 
you know, estrogen dominance that's causing water retention could be playing a role if someone's seeing that the endo belly fluctuates throughout the month. Mm. That could be playing a role. Um, but a large proportion of it is coming from SIBO or gut dysbiosis, which we also know is prevalent within the endometriosis community as well. So, like, yeah. issues going on with bacterial balance in the gut in the large intestine so SIBO can cause like this bloating it can cause gas although you may not notice it because motility is slowed so you're not like farting loads because everything's slow you're building up some people do get excessive gas or burping but others don't um constipation or diarrhea and this doesn't have to be severe constipation it doesn't have to be severe diarrhea um it's literally that so a lot of people think it's normal to go to the toilet every three days or every two days. Mm. You need to be having at least one bowel movement, right? We're kind yeah. of for like one to three a day. So if you're not having that, then it's in, in the eyes of like the IBS world and SIBO, we're looking at constipation. If you spoke to a general practitioner, they'll say, oh, whatever's normal for you is normal. That could mean like once a week is normal. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Not okay. Um, no. Diarrhea. If your stools are like loose, they're not fully formed. Um, they're like pudding. Like then you're leaning towards diarrhea. So um, think of what else they have. So it's gut issues, nausea. Some people have vomiting, though it's more rare. Um, wow. Some get acid reflux. Yeah. Um, and also it creates full body symptoms too. Chronic fatigue brain fog, achy joints. Um, it can lead to yeah. histamine intolerant, intolerance and nutrient deficiencies like B12 and low iron. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And so if it's a structural thing, is, there, is that structural element of it really quite difficult to treat? I mean, I just want to apologise to everyone. I've got really... So I have histamine intolerance and my histamine is bad today. So sorry if I keep blowing my nose. <laughs> Um, I'm sounding really bunged up, but the the hay fever is killing me. Um, so it really depends on what's going on for the person individually. Because if you look at, for example, from my my issue, I don't have extensive endometriosis, so the adhesions aren't coming from that. Mm. Um, but my adhesions are coming from my scar tissue, and I might also have a small bowel obstruction. So some sort of adhesion, kind of like up here which is probably from my car accident when I was younger um so it depends on the severity of those adhesions you could have something like visceral manipulation which is a type of manual massage that will start yeah. to break down those adhesions it might be enough for you great right if obviously if you've got extensive endometriosis you might have to have a surgery but you need to keep in mind that that surgery is very much likely to cause its own adhesions so I always advise that my clients follow up with some sort of visceral manipulation mm -hmm. and preventative methods to prevent surgical adhesions because in 50 to 100 percent of cases an abdominal surgery adhesions will form so is that the kind of massage that someone can do themselves or would they need to book in with somebody who's doing like, is it, is it would it be classed as womb massaging? Or? No, it's literally, I mean, it's literally just called visceral manipulation. It's by the Barrel Institute. Um, and sorry, my laptop's overheating. Can you hear that? Is it bugging you? No, I can't. All right. I've got my sound on low. Okay. Um, so you could 
if someone's just out of surgery, I actually refer them to one of my colleagues who teaches a home method of our Vigo massage, which is, which is sort of like oh, an yeah. abnormal wound massage. But it's not really strong enough to break down present adhesions. What I like about it is that it helps to prevent formation because it's improving blood flow it's clearing scar tissue like that's slowly starting to form so that's a good prevention one it's something that you could do um at night before you go to bed to help the migrating motor complex like kick in because it actually stimulates the migrating motor complex as well so it's mm -hmm. helpful but it's kind of low-key visceral manipulation is kind of the next step up and that's a lot more hands-on and you you do need to see someone for that then the gold kind of standard is clear passage. It is really expensive. I haven't done it. I can't afford to do it. Um, it's about 5,000 pounds, but it is a type of massage that has been developed specifically for adhesions and has been studied on SIBO and endometriosis. So it's great for SIBO oh. and endometriosis. Um, so what do you get for 5,000 pounds? One treatment? No, it's basically a course where I, I don't know if you like stay there or you have to book a hotel, but you go to the center every day for an mm. entire week. Mm. And basically by the end of the week, those adhesions are hopefully gone. Um, it's intense. I think it can be, you know, painful to a degree. Um, and I think it would be so emotional. Like when we used to do, um, you do abdominal examinations as a medical herbalist and as an, in an abdominal mag, uh, examination, you're supposed to really push down far enough that you can, you should be able to feel somebody's kidneys from the front of their body. Mm, Jesus. Like it's really deep pressure. Yeah. yeah. And I just imagine that um, with this kind of like thing where you're trying to massage a scar, it could potentially be quite deep. And uh, I just found that for a lot of people, it's, it, it brings up a lot of emotions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think visceral manipulation leans towards that a bit more. So when you're choosing a visceral manipulation therapist, I think you have to go about it in a way where you're quite careful because when we're trying to, when we're trying to approach it from a SIBO perspective, we're, we're really trying to look at that structural piece. But there is an element of like energy clearing with visceral manipulation from what I can gather. And some practitioners lean into it more and some practitioners lean it, into it less. And mm. whilst I am, um, I mean, you know me, like I think we maybe met through some sort of spiritual workshop. I can't even remember, but I'm, <laughs> I like, I love all that energy thing. I've got like, crystals around me right now but when it comes to SIBO we can't energy clear the SIBO away um and we can't energy clear the adhesions away so yeah we need to find a, a practitioner who knows SIBO who knows endometriosis who knows about adhesions and is willing to not just be like well like let's listen to your vibration and blah, blah, blah. Mm. so um and on the flip side you have to make sure that you feel comfortable with that person and that you are very verb you, you communicate what you're feeling because you're right about the deepness I went to see one um last year and first woman education is supposed to be m more gentle than clear passage and this woman was really really aggressive with me and I ended up in A&E um oh because the spasm oh from the adhesions oh my goodness yeah they looked like it looked like appendicitis and I was like falling over like I was on the way home falling over um and ever since um 
where the where that where I have adhesions has been consistently painful ever since I I did that um and I haven't gone back to her it's not that she made a mistake but she's also like a health coach we actually trained at the same place and I think she thought that she could just push me more than the normal more than most yeah I would say something but I'd not had it before so I was just like this must be normal to have tears in my eyes um so you need to be comfortable with saying what's going on um and because you don't want to push it you kind of want them to yield right you want those adhesions to start yielding rather than them being solid and then you're (laughs) kind of like punching them um and I think that's kind of what happened in my situation. So find someone who's not just going to focus on the energy clearing, find someone who's going to listen to you and your body. Um, with the clear passage, you can have a look at all of their studies are linked on their website. Um, and if anyone's interested in fertility, that's not my area, but they actually do like um, tube clearance. Um, they really help with infertility related to endometriosis. Uh, they even help with preventing needing surgery for endometriosis like yeah that makes so much sense um so worth having a look and then there are um there are some treatments that I haven't tried myself um and I feel like they're kind of higher than these massage ones so there's a type I can't remember the word I think it's called nerve therapy um I can send you the the name, but it's basically injections into the adhesions and it dissolves them, but it is a chemical. So it's up, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's now being used a lot in, um, in SIBO. Um, so it's like dissolving flesh. I guess it's dissolving collagen. Yeah. Scar tissue. Collagen. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. I was like imagining an acid. It's like, it's just, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't quite get it. I understand it um but they're using it a lot in SIBO um and it's not nerve therapy it's going to come to me and I'll, I'll send it to you if I don't remember it in the call um, and there's a couple of others that are that are out there similar um but the injection the injection one is quite popular um and has some really good um results um so from the structural piece it really depends how bad right how bad are your yeah. um is it um something that i mean if it's something else like a small bowel obstruction that could potentially be cleared depending on why do you have a yeah and it doesn't necessarily mean it's to do with endometriosis like whatever i've got here is not to do with endometriosis no that's right and somebody might like have started off with diverticulitis or something and then it's turned in they yes. ended up with endo on top of that and yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and I I should say because I know we talked about this before um in our in our chat um they the SIBO and endo relationship is a bit like what came first the chicken or the egg because what they're finding is that when bacteria break down, all bacteria, all bacteria in the gut, not just like SIBO, um, gram-negative bacteria and pathogenic bacteria, when they break down, if you think that this is like one cell and my hands are the walls, um, as these walls break down, they break away and these pieces of cell wall are called lipopolysaccharides or endotoxins. Mm-hmm. And they have found people with endometriosis have a higher rate of lipopolysaccharides in the pelvic cavity. 
um, and that these lipopolysaccharides contribute to the development of endometriosis growth. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. So there's now this, um, I can't remember what they're calling it, but like, I think it's like bacterial contamination theory of endometriosis. Um, It's quite new, but that endometriosis is basically a perfect storm. Someone has a genetic predisposition, they might be born with it at birth, it might already be there, or they might have a genetic predisposition. And it's a perfect storm. Maybe they developed SIBO. Maybe they um, were exposed to dioxins in the environment. Mm. You know, all of these different things. Um, But SIBO could be playing a role. But then the issue is endometriosis can cause SIBO. So it's like, which came first? And there are people who don't have SIBO with endo. So it's not, I mean, we we know now. But do you find like that you've got any endometriosis patients? that don't have digestive problems of some sort? Oh, no, because we, I mean, we know that people with endometriosis, I mean, we know as much as we can know for the research that we got, tend to have a bacterial imbalance, whether it's SIBO or not. So that's not to say that the bacteria, you know, someone's got leaky gut, the lipopolysaccharides are escaping through the bloodstream. Yeah the pelvic cavity um and contributing to it in that way and it's not coming from the small intestine that's certainly an issue possibility um but i mean i have seen a couple of clients who have like it's just it's not really a concern for them they might have very mild symptoms yeah uh, but nothing really different from the everyday person which isn't to say that the everyday person has a healthy gut right (laughs) um but it's rare um but again I'm now known for this I'm now known for the endo belly like managing endometriosis and gut health and so am I seeing a proportion of people it is necessarily you know uh yeah biased group but I don't I also don't remember seeing any endometriosis patients that didn't also have gut problems and if I was gonna if I was gonna put my money on something I would say it started in the gut (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I feel like you've been eating all your life. <laughs> this is really simple. But you've been <laughs> eating all your life and you haven't had reproductive hormones circulating all your life. Yeah. And so maybe it starts with a girl. I don't know. I but mean, definitely the two exacerbate each other. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we know that most of the, the immune system is in and around the gut. And the, and the immune system plays a huge role in endometriosis. That was my next question, was um, in herbal medicine, one of my tutors taught me that there was a hypothesis or like reason to believe that there was always some sort of immune um, element to endometriosis because there's always this underlying question of why did the body allow endometrial tissue to grow in bizarre places 
Mm-hmm. What do yeah. you think of that? So, um, I mean, I don't think there's any question of it now. There's a question of is it an autoimmune condition, but there's no mm. question of it being an immune dysfunction issue because yeah. if you look at the root, the root nature, for the lack of the be- lack of a better word, of endometriosis is inflammation. Yeah, inflammation is obviously an immune uh, immune reaction, um, but on top of that, we have. Um, I, I can't remember all of the, the different like types of cells, like T cells and like natural killer cells and all of these types of cells, macrophages, but there are all these types of immune cells and endometriosis that aren't working properly. So we have um, endometriosis is resistant to the effects of the immune system. We have our immune system is not working very well, but it's it's there's kind of like excessive numbers of immune cells. So we have like too much of it but they're not doing their job and what that does is right. just creates more inflammation right just creates more more problems mast cell activation syndrome right we've got all of these yeah. mast cells i mean we know this from the research now i mean this is yet another kind of um piece to this immune picture that histamine is playing a big role so we've got mast cells which um are immune cells and they hold histamine they also hold other immune um immune cells and they release them when the body's under attack or when the immune system needs to do do some work um so you know like today hate the pollen is high my body my my mast cells are releasing a lot of histamine in people with endometriosis they have excessive numbers of mast cells in and around the endometriosis lesions and they are behaving like mast cells would in mast cell activation syndrome which is a condition where our mast cells are on hyper alert and they're just like firing out histamine left right and center and someone is having a lot of allergy reactions and sensitivities and so in the pelvic cavity of people with endo the mast cells are like going crazy they're firing out all of these histamines and histamines create an inflammatory response but those histamines and those mast cells are contributing to the development of endo as well so there are so many things it's not you can't just say oh it's you know it's lipopolysaccharides there's um there's the estrogen right there's the um prostaglandins which are contributing to uh, to endometriosis growth there's histamines there's excess iron there are so many different there's lipopolysaccharides and they're all working together like an orchestra to create a really really evil symphony (laughs) so yeah yeah um and that's why it's this perfect storm scenario right um but there is this level of immune dysfunction where the immune system is kind of going crazy and it, it it's trying to do its job and it's trying to do it excessively, but it's not, it's not working. Yeah. Um, so the, what they're now looking at is trying to treat endometriosis from an immune approach and a mast cell approach and a bacterial contamination approach, right? Because we're not, when we're cutting it out and we're suppressing estrogen as well, we're not dealing with all of the components of endometriosis. No. are still there. Like, if yeah, so is... going on the pill is just like... Yeah, I mean, for some, you know, I don't want to take a hard line with the with the pill. I don't use it myself. I haven't needed it in seven years. Um, and my endo's great. Um, for some really, really severe cases, I've seen it be helpful for people. Um mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's just symptom suppression. In some cases, it might 
like keep some of the endo at bay if if someone's endo is particularly um particularly responsive to estrogen estrogen yeah yeah, yeah. but you're only trying you're only controlling one element of that there could be multiple other elements and then people come off it they get all of these symptoms they go and do like an mri scan like a a good mri scan that might be able to pick up on it and they're like shit or they do a surgery and they're like oh it's still been growing but i have Mm -hmm. had clients who have had really bad cases of aggressive endometriosis and um you know my role is to be supportive and non-judgmental regardless of um my views and the doctors said to my clients look we're really really worried that if you come off this treatment you're going to lose your bowel and they've managed to keep the endo at bay and it hasn't grown without you know when that person's been on that um the pill now something like Alyssa or an induced menopause, I think we need to take a lot more seriously because the side effects of that and the long-term repercussions of that are huge. And you also need to be really fully informed if you're gonna take the pill, what's that gonna do to your gut health? What that's what is that gonna do to your mental health, right? There. Yeah, I just feel like people get told, like, hey, we've got this treatment, it's gonna really help your symptoms. Well, basically like pause the growth on your endometriosis and that's it they're just like not really told and I'm just like is that really informed consent if you're only giving people like this tiny bit of information of course it's not informed consent and on top of that it's not accurate I've had like doctors say to my clients that categorically the pill will control their endometriosis and stop its growth and stop their symptoms which is not true I wish that it was um, more commonplace for patients to know that it's completely within their right to say, give me the statistics, where's the reference? Because, like, it's the same thing. It it comes from, it happens a lot in births. Like, people are told, like, if we don't take you into operating theatre right now, you could lose your baby. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, let's slow down for a second, everybody. Um, how likely is it that I could lose this baby? Like, are we talking about there's a one percent risk or there's a ninety nine percent chance of it happening? Like, those that's a huge difference. Yes, it really is. One of the worst things that I hear is when they say like you're doubling your chances of something happening if you don't do X, and you're like, okay, well, what rate was it to begin with? Because if I'm talking about zero point zero 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 eight percent chance going up to zero point zero zero one. do I even care (laughs) yeah yeah. that's such a good point and you know I don't even know I mean I I'm not a doctor so I'm not as a health coach I'm not licensed to give advice on on medicine basically um but I don't know what the stats are around you know around endometriosis and the pill what I do know is that a study was done post-surgery and a anti-inflammatory diet was just as effective as controlling symptoms as a hormonal birth control after surgery. My my clients go to their doctors and they're like, oh, I'm seeing this health coach. And they're like, oh, she sounds like a crazy woman. <laughs> I always say to people, patients, like, at the end of the day, your doctor can only represent the things that they've been taught about. They can't represent the things they haven't been taught about. So, you know, just because your doctor says these are the only options, that's the only options they can give you. And it's, I wish, I wish we lived in a world where GPs were also able to say, 
there are these other things, but I don't know anything about them. And I, I do find in practice that I do come across those GPs occasionally. They'll say like, you of course you could try supplements, um, but I just don't know anything about it. And of, of course, some people try acupuncture for this, but I just don't know anything about that. You'd have to go and find out. Like, but it's sort of um I get the impression that they feel like they could get in trouble for saying it because it's really not, not being okayed. That's interesting. I I mean, I I've known a couple, um, and it's been so it's been so affirming and reassuring when doctors have been on my side. Um I mean, I'm not a very controversial person. Like, I know a couple of my colleagues who sort of, like, bait the, the doctors on Instagram and stuff, and I'm not about that at not all. Either. Um, but, um, you know, I've had a, a young doctor who called me, and we were, like, called... Um, my client gave us permission and we were like discussing her case and he was like super, super on board. Um, I had another doctor one of my students in my course, when my student told her, the doctor, she was like, wow, I'm going to recommend this to all of my endo patients and stuff like that. But it's really few and far between. Mm -hmm. So I've had like someone go into A&E with horrific pain and I can't remember what, I don't know how they got into this discussion, but the doctor was like, oh yeah, no, eat loads of junk food. Huh? Like, oh, I don't, it's just like these random things. It's like this med, like, there should be some level of preventative medicine. Like we know that anti-inflammatory nutrition is a thing, right? We use it like Harvard talks about it for God's sake. There are studies on managing inflammatory conditions with anti-inflammatory nutrition, like preventing heart disease, like all of these things that are Mediterranean diet. So to go and give someone advice of eat, I don't just random things like that. Um, But I agree with you, and I say this as well to my clients, where my clients are, I think my issue is that clients are confused and conflicted, or people are confused and conflicted, because we're in this culture where we see doctors as the highest of the high. And if they say, if they say these are your only options, people are more likely to believe those are the only options. And what's scary is that there are all of these people out there who don't know about the type of work you and I do and are stuck with unacceptable side effects of medication or treatments Mm. or left on their own when they say that those things don't work for them. Yeah. And there's so many people that I come across where they're like, they're like, oh, it's all very well for you to come in here and tell me that, that like, diet's going to make a difference. I've been told by medical professionals that there's nothing that can be done for my chronic condition. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You're, like, yeah, brainwashed. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 really difficult. Um, but I see the logic, because why, why wouldn't something that works be available yeah absolutely and I think that it's um difficult with doctors especially like this is a sweeping generalization but like older doctors there still is this gender pain gap there is still this prejudice and this bias and there's also a level of pride and ignorance and then and they don't if they don't know about it, they don't want to support a patient taking power and looking into something themselves. Um, And 
they get their backs up about it. Um, not all of them, but some. And um, and I've said this to my clients as well. Like, and I, I had this conversation with a GP. There's a GP who's setting up this online like women's health portal, and I had this conversation with her, and I said, you know, from my understanding you guys aren't taught the same stuff as us. You're not taught about the nutrition. You're not taught about the supplements. You're not, you're not taught about these things. So I don't expect you guys to do that. That's not, mm. your, your treatment is, your, your, your work is around medicine um, and diagnosis. That's not my role. Yeah. And mine is, you know, how does a pelvic floor play into it? How does a nervous system play into it? How does inflammation play into this? And she was like, no, you're absolutely right. We don't we're not taught that we don't have we're just not taught that at all so it's uh it's frustrating that I wish someone would go into it with an open mind of saying oh well I don't know about that so maybe but you know mm. categorically saying these are the only options yeah yeah totally yeah there's so many more options out there and, and hopefully we can just carry on trying to get the word out really yeah absolutely and I will say like I'm not bashing surgery and hormones and pain relief it's about they work for some people they don't work for others and I think you need to be fully informed and I think you need to know about the side effects yeah yeah like it should be perfect I think it should be more run-of-the-mill like um the contraceptive pill have been shown to work in 20% of endometriosis cases do you want to try that exactly yeah like that should just right there's our change.org petition right there <laughs> it's not hard guys and it's okay for, it's okay doctors if you can't remember all the stats like maybe someone can make you some nice like printables or something you can have next year <laughs> well, that would be so nice we'll, we'll, we'll get there one day yeah one day well thanks so much Jess for your time today it's been really wonderful talking to you yeah, I feel like it's flown past. I feel it like always does. Like for ten minutes, there's so much more. Yeah. Um, I will I only ever managed to fit in three questions in a half an hour, if that. That's hilarious. I mean, I'm the same with podcast episodes. I could go yeah. for like two hours asking people questions. <laughs> um, what I will say for anyone listening who's like, okay, well, what are these alternatives? Um, I will send you over some like podcast episodes like some of my free resources where they can kind of get started yeah great um, we can leave them in the comments underneath the post for the video yeah. and then they can just get start on their own own journey and I provide lots of stats and references so me too <laughs> I'm a big fan so I've yeah. been researching the statistics behind how period problems or hormone problems most likely are affecting people in the workplace you know how there's lots of statistics like one in 10 women have endometriosis, one in 10 women have PCOS, yeah. Two, uh, one in 20 have PMDD. I've made like an infographic that shows how for every 10 women, how um, much of that is different hormone problems because nobody combines wow. it together. Yeah, yes. Oh my God, that's so interesting. Think about the menopause as well, right? Putting yeah, that. so I've included some menopause stats as, as well in it and I, and I threw in an infertile person, why not? <laughs> um you know someone really good to speak to about this if you're if that's kind of what you're looking into at the moment is vicky williams i think you oh, met, yeah. right i know the name but i don't think i've ever met her okay um so she 
she was like a yoga endometriosis coach um so it's all about like movement for the womb and stuff but she then went on to do a phd in endometriosis in the workplace and she's done a ted talk and everything oh yeah yeah she's done like um a parliament she was part of like this debate last year to do with endometriosis in the workplace so definitely check her out wicked okay great thanks very much jess all right thank you it was lovely to see you. you yeah and i'll get you the recording Thank you, lovely. All right, take care and it's helpful for everyone. Thanks, yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website Um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world (laughs) 